0: Welcome to the Be Disciples Podcast with your host, Kyle Moore, San Dakota Smith. This is episode number 25, where we'll be continuing our study in 1 Timothy. Join us in discipleship through conversation. It's kind of a little bit of a milestone episode. 25 seems like a big deal.
1: Yeah, we're a quarter of the way to 100. Yeah, that's... Showing one we can do math and... We are capable of uh, recording 25 episodes. Yeah, you know, uh,
0: <laughs> there were some weeks off there sometimes, but that's okay. We made it to 25. Yeah, and got it. Uh, you know, trying to be consistent as much as possible, but it, it's been a lot of fun, and uh, we're, we've we've uh, we've gotten this far, so we're gonna we're gonna keep going. That's right. Awesome, man. Yeah, it's been a it's been a crazy couple weeks. Uh, moving out here to Kansas, starting work and, <laughs> and, uh, going through the motions and, uh, the weather of Kansas is, is, as they say, very different every single day. Very um, sporadic. Right. So, so today was a nice 80 something degrees. And, but all the days prior to that, a couple were in the forties for the high. So, uh, right. we've, we've had some extremes and then tomorrow it'll drop back down and possible snow next week. So, right. Yeah. It's, uh. It'll be, it'll be interesting and a different uh, way of life for me and Dakota. You know, Dakota did experience some winter last time, but uh, we're still newbies, I think.
1: The way that they put it out here is, yeah, we live in an area where there's four seasons of the year. Uh, but what they don't tell you is all four seasons happen in a week. So it's, it's definitely interesting and your body kind of has to adjust to it. We, we had a super cold front come through. We had a, a warm front today, 85 degrees. And then again, as Kyle said, snow is probably on its way. So, you know, the fall here is beautiful, but once snow comes, it's going to destroy all the red and yellow and orange trees. It's just going to turn brown. Yeah. And for some of our listeners
0: uh, who are, you know, go to Ottawa Bible Church, they're probably laughing at us right now. Um, yeah. Don't laugh. don't laugh. Don't laugh at laugh. your pastors. <laughs> Come on <laughs> because, church, Because church they're like, discipline. yeah. Uh, but, uh, for those of you listening in Arizona, which I know there's some of you, uh, just letting you know what it looks like to have different weather than sunshine, which you guys are probably also laughing at us going, it's about to be the best time of year in Arizona. Uh, and you guys are going to have to shovel snow. So, uh,
1: (laughs) it's okay. We can sled down that snow. Maybe (laughs) you can find a a hill (laughs) (laughs) with a yarmulke helmet in a razor scooter, right? Yeah. Now?
0: Yeah. <laughs> Inside. Joke. That was it. That was a driveway, by the way. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that was a hill. That was a driveway you oh, fell wow. down. Oh.
0: That's another time. But yeah, so those of you who are maybe new listening to the podcast, uh, this is the Be disciples podcast where we uh like to come together in conversation uh through discipleship. And uh and we have a lot of fun doing it. And so we are in 1st Timothy uh, we had chapter one, we started last uh, week in episode 24, and we're going to be in chapter two, really the focus of First Timothy as we look at leadership in the church and uh, kind of a way for Dakota and I to reflect on uh, our own uh, leadership in the church as pastors and to kind of dive in and learn more about ourselves and maybe things we need to improve on and and just kind of bounce things off of each other. But last week was a lot of fun getting into 1 Timothy, so uh, thanks for joining us. We're going to start now in chapter 2.
1: Right. Well, last week we talked about uh, how this is Paul writing to Timothy. Paul is the main person who invested into Timothy's life. Timothy is probably a little bit timid uh, because, for one, he has to take the shoes of Paul, and who wouldn't be somewhat... Uh, insecure about having to stand in those shoes. Um, We also know that one of the major themes that Paul is addressing to Timothy is that he guard doctrine at all costs, that he as a pastor must guard doctrine, must guard what we truly, truly believe. And um, sometimes that comes with you know, consequences that uh, sometimes it costs the person holding the truth because people get offended at you and there's a lot that we discussed in the last episode. What do you think, Kyle? A review of chapter one. Yeah, most certainly. I think
0: um, kind of following in the footsteps of Paul would be a little bit intimidating. I think um, he, you know, his experience uh, in life, uh, what he has gone through, what Jesus has uh, done in Paul's life, and then just the authority I think that Paul brought to teaching. Um, yeah. You know, for Timothy to kind of take the reins of a local church. Uh, take the reins as a as a pastor and to lead and teach uh being timid himself and paul trying to uh encourage him and and push him forward and continue to disciple him uh, I thought you know that part is really interesting as i think all pastors um you know have that piece where they're they've been mentored by somebody they've been um you know someone has discipled them and as they're going into pastoral ministry uh just learning how to um really speak with the authority that God gives them, but understand that authority is God's. Uh, it is not the, necessarily the pastors, but it just comes through God. Um, and I think Timothy's learning this process of what that means to be a leader uh, amongst the people and, and in the church and and, right. uh, and Paul just continues to encourage and uh, we'll continue now in, in chapter chapter two.
1: Yeah. It, by the way, too, if there was a motive, you know, let's just try to quote the scripture a little bit here. You know, if there were a motive that Paul is trying to speak from, he, he's talking to Timothy about um, the real goal of their instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So there's false teachers running around and they're doing it with an impure uh, state of heart, uh, an unclean conscience and not a sincere faith. I mean, it's they're in it for themselves, and they're seeking to take advantage of this new teaching called Christianity, uh, the fulfillment where Jesus obviously ha- has shown himself to be the Messiah. But then there's these people coming along that's saying, well, okay, we're seeing that this movement is gaining, gaining attention, which the Holy Spirit was doing a work in, in the world and beginning the church for the first time. But then evil men see that, and they say, well, we want to a part of that for our own selfish gain. And Paul is saying there's a difference between us, the true teachers with true motives, godly motives, versus the false teachers with ungodly motives. So that really sets the tone for the letter. And here we go with chapter two. Do yeah, you I'll start. start off, Kyle?
0: Yeah, I'll go ahead and start us off in chapter two. Uh, I am in the ESV version. Uh, usually, I think Dakota has. In ASB, so sometimes we go back. The and only correct version, so I'm reading from it. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Still stuck in Bible college in ASB. So <laughs> Dang, pretty sure that's what's there. happening. <laughs> uh, all right, See, chapter I'm sure two. Would be proud. <laughs> <laughs> it says verse one. First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. For kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. I'll stop there. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so it says, first of all, he urges... Uh, that supplication, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. Um, really talking about prayer here. Yeah, uh, public public prayer, public worship um, for the people here, and so uh, that kind of sets the tone. So we go from um, you know really talking about where this this new teaching is coming in. There's other people teaching it, making sure that where this teaching is coming from a pure heart. Um, because, and, and it leads into this prayer piece of public prayer, and where does this public prayer come from as well? Uh, mm-hmm. I think it kind of just leads right into that, because I think we can, if we're not in the right place in pure heart, in our teaching, and then we come into this place of prayer, uh, I think we can still be in this place where it's about us and not what is taking place in worship, uh, yeah. preparing our hearts for worship uh, in this in this instance. So, So yeah, I definitely think that as it leads into chapter two is really important to keep in mind.
1: Well, I mean, Paul says here in chapter two that he's urging them for prayers and entreaties on behalf of all men, right? To pray for all men. And then in verse two, for kings and for all who are in authority, so that, and here's the purpose statement, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. So you know, don't just make sure you have your doctrine right, but make sure that your prayer life is right and, and make sure that your prayer life involves the type of prayers that, that seek to intercede on behalf of men who are going to affect your life in one way or another. And Kyle, is this not relevant to today? I mean, we're, we're talking about praying for kings and for those who are in authority. Why? so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. I mean, let's pray for these leaders because they have some effect on how we as Christians live. That's relevant right now to October of 2020.
0: No, certainly with the election coming up here in America and all this stuff going on, um, it's definitely hits right where we are in this moment. Uh, I do want to break down and talk about some of these words that are in here when it talks about prayer. Uh, one of those is supplication. Um, so supplication is is asking for something, right? Uh, a prayer should never be about all asking, right? But it should be about uh, asking and being bold and confidence from God's word. But it is about asking God for these things. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it says pr- supplication, prayers. So in, in the you know more in the broad sense, communicating with the Lord, intercession. Uh, referring to the request uh, we make on behalf of others. Uh, so maybe praying for others if if people are asking for prayers um, and then giving, uh, giving of thanks or mine, it says thanksgivings uh, which is uh, thanking God, having a sense of gratitude towards the things that God has given us, mm-hmm. giving thanks for what he has already done and what he will do. Uh, right. So it's like there's the multiple aspects of of prayer here that I think, Sometimes we just pass over, like, okay, yeah, he's talking about prayer, uh, but there's multiple layers of the prayer of things that we should be praying for, asking for, communicating with the Lord, praying for people, giving thanks for what the Lord has done. So there's there's layers to this prayer here that's being talked about um, and things that we should be doing at all times for this, uh, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet, godly life, godly and dignified in every way. Uh, so that's why that's, this is one of those areas where we get all these different ways of prayer, things that we pray about, ask for prayer, um, you know, have prayer chains, prayer emails, whatever, all these things to give thanks as well. Uh, So prayer, it comes from this, in this area, these different things. If you've ever wanted to know, why do we pray for these things in the Bible? Here's one example where Paul talks about these four things specifically,
1: uh, that we can keep in mind in our prayer lives. Amen. Amen. And you know, one thing that's important about prayer just overall is I think it humbles us to remember who we are and who God is. So let's just, again, keep it in the context of verses one and two. Well, there's only so much I can do to control the outcome of who's going to be in charge on a governmental level. Uh, I think it's no secret. It's no shock for those listening to this podcast that for Christians, we tend to lean more conservative and You know, when we see certain things happening in the world, we get a little bit afraid. And this here is saying that we should pray for all men. But the context is that we should pray for all kinds of men. Uh, I think really it's, well, what kinds of men are we talking about? Men who are in authority, who have an impact on us. So prayer puts us into that humble position. Yes, I can vote. Yes, I can get involved in social activism or I can do certain things. But at the end of the day, the direct instruction that the Bible gives us is that we must be in prayer for these men, so that our walk with God may be protected. And if God doesn't allow that to take place, He doesn't allow us to uh, live in a nation which is friendly towards the faith, or however you might want to put it. Well, then praise God, because Jesus also said, "Blessed are you when you're persecuted for My name's sake." So. I suppose either way, Kyle, what do you think? The Christian can be blessed in either circumstance. We may have our preference as to who we want our uh, to be our leader, but it's not like we're devoid of the Holy Spirit and we can't walk with God. It just might look a little bit different. It might be more challenging. Yeah, certainly. I think um,
0: we ultimately as Christians know who our leader is, and we need to trust in the Lord yeah. um, no matter what happens. That can be hard at yeah. times or all the time but the reality is God is in control. We know what's going to happen in the end. Uh, We know what this world will lead to. We know the story. Um, If you are a Bible-believing person um, and you've read the Bible, you know what's going to happen. So a lot of these things shouldn't be a shock. I think it's hard in this life because we don't necessarily want to always be the ones that may experience some of this hardship and heartache and pain and sorrow that people who are Christians are going to experience towards these end times. Uh, but the reality is there are Christians who are going to. Could it be us? Maybe. Uh, but, you know, we, are, we, will, we will still in this lifetime experience hard times as Christians. We will be persecuted in many different ways. Uh, and we have to be prepared for that. But we should be praying for all people, all leaders, all around the world, not just here in America— Um, and we should be praying for the hearts of men. And this continues in verse 3, and it says, this is good, in verse 3. This is good and is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Right here, Paul states that Prayer for these people is good and is pleasing to God. But I think one of the most more important pieces of this, these two verses is that we see God stating that it is God's desire for all people to be saved. Yeah. I think this kind of wipes— That's really interesting. <laughs> right? This kind of wipes any of those thoughts or ideas, or if you've ever thought that, you know, God is partial to some people or to others. I think that is untrue. I think God loves all people. He died for all people, all sin, and he mm-hmm. desires to know every single human being and have a mm-hmm. relationship with him. And so that is the God that I know. That is the God of the Bible. And Paul reinforces that here by saying God desires that all people come to him, Right. all people are saved. He desires to. Yeah, he desires. And that should just, I don't know, that should comfort you. It comforts me knowing that he desired to know me. He didn't just, I mean, to send your son to die on the cross, it wasn't just this like, it was his plan from the beginning, but it wasn't an easy plan. I don't think that at any point Jesus thought, well, this is going to be easy. I'm going to go down and be a man. I'm going to be a human and I'm going to die on the cross. But I love people so much. I love Human, so much, my creation, so much that the only way for me to be with them and them with me is that I die for them. Mm -hmm. That's the only way. I desire, his desire was so great that he would go to that length to know us. And so that's what Paul's pointing out here in these couple sentences, which sometimes you could just pass alongside them, but just to sit in them for a little bit and go, man, God desires to know me, and he desires for all people to be saved. Wow, that's that's just so comforting, and it just is encouraging to go forward here and to think about that as we continue to to listen to what Paul has to say, and he wants us to know him and know the
1: truth. Yeah, well, something to add here on that note is when it says this in verse 4, uh, that he desires all men to be saved, right? And there's something in addition to the saving and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Uh, maybe it's not an addition, but maybe it's just greater clarification. But just as in chapter one, Paul was addressing the fact that there's a knowledge that's not according to the truth. There's a knowledge that really has to do with false teaching. He kind of weaves in this topic from chapter one yet again, and he speaks about how there's a a, a real knowledge of the truth there is a specific knowledge of the truth. So picture it this way. Does your knowledge about the gospel matter as to how you become saved? Absolutely. There's no other way to become saved unless you know the truth of the gospel. So if you have a false gospel, you can't be saved. We talked about this last week. Um, You know, Mormons believe that it's faith plus works uh, that will get you to heaven. In other words, outright, no Mormon would argue against this. Uh, You are baptized into the Mormon church uh, for the sins that you committed prior to baptism, but after baptism, it's the it's your works, it's your performance that you have to put on. Um, but and also for Jehovah's Witnesses as well, I mean, they would believe something very similar. They they believe that there's only 144,000 that will, uh, you know, be spiritually in heaven with Christ, and then they would say that the the rest are just on earth to eat, sleep, and drink and have you know body still and you don't you don't get as good of an intimacy with God because your works weren't there. So false teachers always weave in a little bit of Christian truth uh, but neglect the entire truth. And if it's not the whole truth, it's not the truth at all. So and that's exactly what Satan did from the beginning, right? He deceived Adam, he deceived Eve specifically first off. Um, and with that deception there's always a, a little bit of truth, mostly a lie. So knowing the truth of the gospel Leads to salvation. Um, I suppose I'll pick it up here in verse 5. Yes, go ahead and pick it up because Paul's going to get into the exact truth. Yeah, (laughs) here it is. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Here it is. Who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying as a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Now, to be fair, just to be fair to what some would say theologically, they would say that because the context in uh, verse 1 is that we make prayers on behalf of all kinds of men, kings and all who are in authority, they would then say that verse 6, who gave himself as a ransom for all kinds of men, the testimony given at the proper time. So I I, I do think that you can translate this uh, either way, if you're going to be fair. But then, of course, we go to the rest of the scriptures. And I think you get down to verse like John three sixteen: for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son and whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Well, who's the world? And, and this is a, <laughs> a highly debatable question, right? <laughs> Who does the world include? Um, and now we get into the, a question about election, which I don't know if that's the point of the passage here, but it's definitely considered among some people.
0: Yeah, I definitely don't think that's uh, where Paul's going specifically here in chapter two, talking about uh, election per se. But I, I mean, I'd just like to, I, I when when in this specific passage stick to the fact that he is talking about all, he saves all. There is only one God and there is only one mediator and that is Jesus Christ who right. has died on the cross uh, in order for us to know him and that uh, it was for all to pay that ransom. Right. Um and that and then he gets into for this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. Wow. Um yeah. we we do know Paul's story that he was literally appointed by Jesus to, yeah. to be an How apostle. Awesome. Right. Yeah. And so it wasn't just uh, a calling in the sense of being a pastor. Like he was, Jesus knocked him down, blinded him (laughs) physically and, and had an experience there with God, with Jesus himself uh, after the resurrection. And so um, after, you know, Jesus had already gone up into heaven. So um, this was an experience Paul had with God and, and that was, that was very special. And so, I don't think Paul's saying that to say, look at me, look at me. I think he's truly giving the uh, praise to the Lord here and saying, please believe me, because this isn't something that comes from me. This is something that comes from God,
1: and I'm not lying to you, Uh, you know, as he's talking about here. He's talking about the authenticity of the gospel. And it's authentic because it was handed down from Jesus. Again, all false teachings start by being handed down by someone who is a false prophet, a false teacher. Uh, Joseph Smith, um, uh, Charles Hayes Russell, um, Muhammad, uh, they're all false teachers. You know, uh, Paul said, if anyone comes preaching to you a gospel other than that we have given to you, even if an angel does so, then that's to be rejected. Um, it's not from the Lord. So he's making an appeal that uh, he personally, face-to-face, was called by Jesus to go and be a teacher of the Gentiles. And that's even more interesting, right? Because Paul's a Jew. It is. It's very interesting. Uh, kind of sticking
0: with what you were talking about with being called by Jesus, we don't read First Timothy and think, we're listening to the teachings of Paul. Right. That's not what we're doing. We're listening to the teachings of the Lord given to Paul, right? That right. that's what's happening. So, yes, Paul said it, it is from the Lord, but the Lord is the authority here, not Paul. And we can't get that mixed up in in churches today. If you're being discipled by somebody, uh, you got to always go back to scripture and double check what people are teaching you. You always have to question these things. Go back to what the word says. And not just take it at what people are saying at face value, any preacher at the pulpit. There's tons of preachers out there that sound really, really good on Sunday mornings. But it doesn't mean everything they're talking about is true. It is up to you as the individual to know the Word of God. Yeah. Very, very important. I don't know. I've probably said that tons of times on this podcast. But Paul is getting to that here. He's saying, this is from God, not from me this was appointed to me by god and i'm passing it to you this yeah. isn't paul's gospel it's jesus's gospel right that's an important piece to sit and know here and then to throw it you know throw a wrench in it or make it kind of weird he's a jew like you just mentioned and says <laughs> entrusted to give this to the gentiles right which i am not right and so he's kind of this bridge between the jewish community In the Gentile community, because he is a Roman citizen at the same Uh, time. Absolutely. So he has this unique ability to, he he understands Gentile nations, Gentile people, but he is also part of the, yeah, he's part of the Jewish community. Exactly. Dual citizenship. And so that puts him in a unique place. And obviously Jesus knew that and knew where Paul stood, but had that unique connection and could reach many people and Paul had those
1: gifts given by God, and God used them. And a few other things here, too. First of all, in the Old Testament, you know, God desired that other nations would become jealous of Israel, the nation, Israel's relationship with God. God's intent for Israel that is that Israel would be a light unto the nations. In fact, even the outer courtyard of the tabernacle on the temple was designed so that other nations could come and worship the God of Israel. They could worship Yahweh. Uh, Israel was to make all the other nations so jealous that the other nations said, man, we want a relationship with God like that. Man, we want a God like yours. But of course, Israel, they failed in that. And then here comes Jesus. And of course, he his ministry begins in, in Nazareth and his ministry, as it says in Isaiah, is a light unto the Gentiles and. And then all throughout the Gospels, you see Jesus ministering to the Gentiles as a Jew. And then here's Paul, of all people, a persecutor of the church, uh, someone who holds to his Jewishness uh, quite heavily. He says, as to the law, in the book of Philippians, as to the law, I was found blameless. I mean, he's saying, if it came to outward external appearance, I did nothing wrong. Um, but of course, Paul learns about his heart problem, and he he finds out that everyone Romans chapters 1, 2, and 3. Everyone has a heart problem of sin before the Lord. So when Paul gets grabbed a hold of by Jesus, he essentially understands, wait a minute, I'm not only fulfilling something that was meant for the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, uh, I'm also fulfilling something that my Lord and my Savior and my Messiah, Jesus Christ, Jesus the Anointed One, he went and he reached all the Gentiles. And and Paul is now fully understanding that, that the church, the Gentiles have been grafted in with Israel for God's ultimate purpose. And he doesn't just say that he's a preacher earlier on, which means a heralder, uh, someone who came into a town to declare that the nation had won, they've been victorious in battle. But he also calls himself an apostle, apostolos, which means the sent one, right? Uh, He's fully claiming to be sent by God to fulfill God's purposes. And then here we are, and we get to verse eight. You want to pick it up in verse eight alone, Kyle? Yep.
0: Verse eight says, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Hmm. I mean, just verse eight is, I think, uh, a good place to just stop before we get into a little bit more uh, controversial,
1: <laughs> right? Uh, spot. <laughs> but in verse eight, it just <laughs> says,
0: I desire then that in every place, the men should pray lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. This does say men and not man. So we have to kind of point out the distinction here. It's not saying all people it's literally specific to the gender here. Uh, men desire in every place should pray lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Um, you know kind of straightforward there uh that we should be praying we should be lifting our hands to god and we should not be in anger or quarreling with one another while doing that i think um coming to worship to god in in uh, coming to god in worship knowing that you are in quar we're quarreling or in anger or in dispute or something towards somebody you should probably go handle that dispute i think is really important um and yeah. before coming into worship with God, especially if yeah. you're in the same kind of community, the same church, it's hard to be in worship in the same place um, and be in, in in confrontation with somebody uh, when you, that really does need to be handled. That is pointed out here mm-hmm. for a specific reason. I think it's good to go before God in worship without something like that between you and another person yeah. um, and get that handled first.
1: Well the word here for men is the word anēr which specifically means men as as you noted and it's not like Paul is saying hey if you're not a male then you can't pray and you can't lift holy hands i think he's calling men in the church to be leaders i think he's calling men in the church you know to lead the prayer of the church and it even has me thinking right now as a pastor uh, how can we improve at this in our very own church? This isn't a, a time to beat up on any church or even our own. That's not. That's not it. But, but the healthy, godly motivation of okay, how can we, how can we better live this verse out? Um, does it actually mean lifting your hands? I think it does. I, I think it means literally lift up your hands and do so without wrath or quarreling. Another word, another, translated, I think, in the King James would be without doubting. So to lift your hands with a heart of integrity, with a heart of sensitivity towards the spirit of God. Uh, remember earlier on in verse one, it was and two, it's to pray for all kinds of men, kings, and people in authority, and pray with the gospel in mind for all people. Uh, it's just super important that we have this spirit of prayer within our church communities. But Kyle, we get here to First Timothy chapter two, verses nine through fifteen. And uh, this is going to be a fun passage to tackle because this is possibly uh, one of the most misinterpreted passages. Uh, This is a passage that's used to abuse uh, certain people or, excuse me, women in certain types of churches. This passage is often used in legalistic churches in a very unhealthy manner. So... Anyway, Kyle, I think it's good just to tell our listeners right now how we're going to approach verses 9 through 14, to be fair to the text. I've always learned from uh, my friend and professor and mentor, C.L. Mitchell, he's always said, the Bible is nothing to be overstated, and the Bible is nothing to be understated, and it's nothing to be handled carelessly. So as we come across verses 9 through 14, we want to let our listeners know that our next episode will solely focus on verses 9 through 14. And you'll see why here in a moment, because it's it's often abused. It's often misunderstood. So Kyle, I'm going to do this. We're going to take a survey approach for verses 9 through 14 tonight. And next week, we're going to dig in verse by verse, word by word, and we're even going to handle topical uh, discussions. We're going to take on questions. We're, we're going to deal with this from multiple angles so that nothing's left out here. What do you think? Yep, I'm on board. So I'll just read verses 9 through 15. It says, likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works, as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created and then Eve, and it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. But women will be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. Any initial thoughts? I mean, Right off the bat, Kyle, I mean, we're, we're trying to approach this carefully. We, we don't want to rush into this passage. What are some things that you're noticing right off the bat?
0: Yeah, I mean, I want to start at the beginning and kind of work our way through a little bit as we go through here. Um, I, I think here we see in verse 9, it says, Likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control. Uh, I think here, you know, we have kind of some broad views on on this one. yeah, uh, we see different churches, different extremes here. but right. I kind of just want to do the quick um, kind of summary of of I think what we're looking at here for for women. I think women have to um this is you know more translated into self-control, uh, a voluntary type of limitation of of their appearance. Uh, especially in a church meeting place or a gathering of other believers to where that they are presenting themselves wholly before God. Um, And it's something that they choose to do, that they choose to put themselves in this place. They choose these behaviors. They choose what they're wearing before God. It is a choice that they make. So um, Paul mentions that here that they should do this and they should be respectable you know, in front of God and in front of other men. I don't think this is a in any way shaming women or telling women what they have to do or any of those sort of things. I do think it's something for women to present themselves to God uh, in a way that is respectable and not distracting to anybody else or any of those sort of things. I think be. Uh, distracted by other people and paul is making a kind of a clear point here that women should do these things because for one it helps it should help them and it helps
1: men around them and people around them it's not a distraction because we want to be focused on God yeah you know just verses nine and ten here if we were to just start with the apparel and the dress of women um i I have some notes here that I think it would just be great to read there there's a great online resource that sometimes I use uh, it's It's not necessarily the most scholarly, you know, piece of literature that that you can read. Um, But if you go and you look up something online called Constable's Notes, C-O-N-S-T-A-B-L-E-S, Constable's Notes from Plano Bible Chapel, um, there are notes on every single book of the Bible. And sometimes this is just really helpful to break things down and uh, to help you get the gist of the issue. So I'm going to read his notes. And it says here, having dealt with the disruptive men, Paul turns to the disruptive women. Just as the men are to stop fighting, the women are to dress appropriately. And again, there's context for all that. While their dress is an issue, their attitude is Paul's true concern. The responsibility of the women in church meetings needed more explanation. Paul's point in these verses was that good works that express a godly character or express godliness should characterize Christian women more than the way they dress and groom themselves. The contrast is between works and wardrobe. Obviously, Paul was not saying that external appearance, including good grooming and cleanliness, is unimportant. He did not want the women to dress to make a stunning impression and focus attention on themselves, thus distracting attention away from worship. Let some say what some will about Paul. He here states that women are to dress in good taste, in good taste, when they prepare to attend church. Uh, and then also another note says, a Christian woman should be remarkable for her Christ-like behavior more than for her clothes, hairstyle, and the other externals that are of primary importance to unbelievers. Modestly, the word modestly uh, literally translates, translates shamefacedly, uh, which combines modesty with humility. And then the word discreetly here, means with soundness of mind, meaning self-control. So Paul is actually appealing to healthy, godly character within women, a humble heart even within women. Uh, Just to read a few more quotes here to kind of sum up for verses 9 through 10. The Christian woman is not to adorn herself with gold or pearls or expensive clothes so as to draw attention to herself. At worst, this is what the prostitutes did. So there's the culture, there's the context for you that Paul might be alluding to. At best, it shows pride and self-centeredness, both of which are contrary to the Spirit of Christ. Such dress is especially unbecoming in church. The reason for Paul's prohibition of elaborate hairstyles, ornate jewelry, and extremely expensive clothing becomes clear when one reads in the contemporary literature of the inordinate time, expense and effort that elaborately braided hair and jewels demanded, not just as ostentatious display, but also as the mode of dress, of courtesans and harlots. But perhaps the more acute problem was that of insensitive women flaunting their dress, jewelry, and hairstyles in a way that hurt the feelings of the poor. Uh, You find this in James chapter 2 with not showing partiality and disturb the church. Last sentence, the kinds of adornment mentioned all belong to that culture's critical character of wealthy women. So Paul is saying something that he would say to any Christian. That true humility is viewing oneself in view of Christ. He's not seeking to reprimand the value of women. He's saying all of us in our own particular ways need to humble ourselves so that Jesus can be the focus. I know I read a lot, but I think that helps just to start off for what's going on. Yeah, and then we continue here. Um,
0: We continue in verse 10. It says, But... And there's some more conflict for you, right? Right, and I think we, if you take this at immediate, con, immediate, just like what you read, and it just kind of sticks out at you, it almost like, oh, that was that was <laughs> super harsh, right? Yeah. What do you mean, women? Women can't teach; they should be quiet. What are you talking about here, Paul? But I think we have to again dive deeper into the context of what of this
1: situation, what Paul's talking about. The number one rule. Of biblical interpretation is context, context, context. And the most dangerous thing that anybody can do when reading the Bible is they can bring their own cultural baggage to the text or their own experiences, their own biases. And when you throw those onto the Bible, suddenly you start reading it through your lens rather than the Bible's lens. So Paul is seeking to say something, to, to bring a, a call of humility to to women, just as he's already called that call of humility to men. Um, But if you're not careful, you can read these verses in your pride and you can completely miss the point of the Bible. For example, uh, let me just do this, and maybe this is a good way to stop for tonight, only because I I know this is going to be a topic that needs to be brought up in more detail. But the verse says in verse 11, a woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over man, but to remain quiet. You know, in context here, when it talks about exercising authority over a man, the idea is not to usurp the authority of man, not to go around the authority of a man, not to say, oh, I don't care who's in charge, but in fact, you know, I'm going to do what I want and I'll go around him. Also in the context here, when it says to remain quiet, uh, there's, there's a verse in first Corinthians chapter 14, verse 34, where Paul told the women in Corinth, who, by the way, what do we know about the Corinthians? They had a ton of issues. Paul told the women in Corinth to remain absolutely silent in the church, meaning they are not permitted to speak. But what's the, what's the context in the Corinthian church? You had these women uh, who were literally shouting out in the midst of a church service, interrupting the sermon Right, And they were, they were causing disruption to the church. So it had nothing to do with the fact that they were female. It had everything to do with the fact that they were boisterous and, and loud and unbecoming. Well, look at this. When you get here to the word for quiet, it does not. it's not the same word that Paul used in 1 Corinthians 4. It's not the same word that means I don't permit you to speak at all. It's a different word. Here he uses the word called sigiposin which means instead that it's just translated like quiet spirit settled down under control right so it's that it's peaceable it, it's again here we are in the theme of humility the idea is that you would be ready and willing to hear the word of god and it's not about yourself and it's not about you usurping authority but it's it's that your heart would be prepared for what's going on in church it's not saying that you can't speak it's saying that have a reverential heart because this can't, in this culture this was an issue of usurping the authority of a male and next week is we're going to have to talk so what does the authority of a male look like back then and what does the authority of a male look like even today because we we preach and we teach the entire bible we don't we don't just move past something cuz it's uncomfortable We don't play eeny, meeny, miny, moe, I'll choose that verse and the rest of them got to go. We don't play those games. We have to receive the entire Word of God in context matters. Yeah, so next week,
0: episode 26, we're going to do a part two of 1 Timothy chapter two and really just spend time in this section, Mm -hmm. uh, going deeper into what Paul is talking about, dissect the historical context of the time, yeah, bridge that gap over to today, and really like hammer this out because yeah. we don't want to just skip over this, as Dakota said, and just kind of, just kind of nonchalant. Just oh yeah, this is what this means, and <laughs> just kind of move on. Yeah. Uh, we really want to take our time to properly, um you know, speak about this and and uh, give it the time that it is due. Yeah. And so we're going to do that next week. So please join us on the Be Disciples podcast. Next week, 1 Timothy chapter 2.
1: Yeah, and next week I'm really excited, especially for verses 13, 14, and 15 as well. Adam was created first, then Eve. Does that mean that men and women are not equal? I mean, you could get into that argument. Uh, verse 14, it was not Adam who was deceived, but it was the woman. Um, okay, so I mean, what is Paul saying there? Also, verse 15, women will be preserved through the bearing of children. What exactly is Paul saying? Because rubbing against our culture today, we could read this the wrong way. So we're going to get into the heart of biblical interpretation next week. And yet again, just to be redundant, the reason why we want to be so careful with this passage is because it's been so abused over time and we want to be responsible Bible expositors and teachers. Uh, So we want this to benefit the church body, to benefit women. And we also want to tear down a lot of lies uh, that unhealthy legalistic churches have brought about. We don't want to work around the scriptures. Uh, We don't want to come up with our own interpretation. What we want to do is at the deepest core, we want to say what exactly does it say and did Paul mean by it? Because whatever Paul meant by it is what the Holy Spirit intended and what the Holy Spirit intends is supposed to be life-giving for all who read. So that being said, I think we should close in prayer.
0: Yep, I'll do ahead. All right, man. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this uh, podcast, uh, for this opportunity to just talk about your word, Lord, uh, and that it truly is your word, uh, and that we just want to spend time talking about it, being in discipleship with one another, and just sharing it with those who are listening. And so uh, thank you, Lord, for this moment and this episode as we got to talk about part of chapter 2 of First Timothy. And as we come back next week, um, just to dive deeper into the section uh, that uh, at many, many times can be controversial, but to really learn what you, Lord, were, what you were telling Paul, what the Holy Spirit was telling Paul to say here to these people and, and how we are supposed to be um, interpreting uh, the things that Paul said. So thank you, Lord, uh, for tonight. I pray for all of our listeners that they are, continue to be encouraged and they continue to dive into Scripture and that they take the time within this next week in chapter two to learn about this before they come back and listen and just uh uh, just challenge them to spend time with you in prayer and i thank you so much for this
1: opportunity lord Uh, in jesus name amen Amen. god bless god bless listeners